I just decided that Bellick uh, had enough power in his position as the head of the prison guard, like you mentioned. You know, I run this place during the night that he never did anything to physically harm another a prisoner or a guard or even a cat. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day today. My name is Talal, and you are listening to the Popcorn and Soda Podcast, the show where we discuss all things movies, pop culture, and so much more. I want to thank each and every one of you for making me a small part of your day. On today's show, we're joined by a very special guest. He's one of the finest creative artists in the industry today. You've seen him on projects such as The Birdie Mac Show, Batman The Dark Knight Returns, and you know him best as Officer Brad Bellick on the hit TV show, Prison Break, a character that continuously stole the show every time he was in a scene. On the show today, the very talented Mr. Wade Williams. How are you, hey. Wade? Hey, <laughs> great. What an introduction, man. Holy shit. Excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> no, my pleasure. Wow. My pleasure, Wade. Before we get started into your career how have you been over these last 18 months we're living in such a crazy world especially in the creative arts what did the last two years look like for you wow that is a crazy question man i think that's a question for all of us right it's a great story stories mm-hmm. uh well for me uh i moved uh i was taking uh, care of my family being with my family in tallahassee for a couple of years mm-hmm. um which was wonderful. Uh, but my daughter, um, uh, my kid Riley, she, they were, um, uh, it's their last year of two years of high school. So I, I came back, uh, but I couldn't deal with Los Angeles anymore, man. It's just, and this is before the pandemic. This is like late 19, which uh, 2019. Gotcha. I thought, man, I'm gonna, I can't do LA anymore. It's just too, I can't do it. My head's gonna explode. I mean, if there's traffic, it's like Toronto. I mean, uh, you know, we all there, we all been there, right? Having to drive around, everything, going at work and shit, you know, drive. So I just like, no, but I'd done a movie out here, which you guys get to look out for. It's called The Last Manhunt, right? And it's uh, with Jason Momoa's in it, and he produced it. It's a Western. And it's the first time I ever played a cowboy, goddammit. Anyway, <laughs> it's because I always told the truth and said I could, couldn't ride a horse. But this time, I really wanted to do it. And I, it was a free trip out here from Tallahassee, because I was still there. And I got to see my daughter, right? So uh, anyway, I got to play this cowboy, The Last Manhunt. Uh, look for that. Anyway, I came out here, saw my daughter, and I thought, fuck, I'm going to lo- move to back to Joshua Tree. So I rented a place out here, and I landed in Joshua Tree on March 17th, no, February 17th, 2020. Okay. Two weeks later, they shut the whole country down, right? Everybody had, it was like total lockdown. So I've been here two years, completely by myself 
in the desert, in the middle of the desert, the beautiful desert. And I feel like some kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe like a, some kind of prophet, future prophet or some shit. Like maybe I'll create my own religion, I'm thinking. I'm, call, I'm thinking about calling it Harmonica Waves, Ooh, Sistine like Chapel and Hollapalooza Oyster Shack. Well, hey, if you talk about social distancing, I don't think that's any more distant than being out in the middle of the desert, right? Well, you know, there are people around, but um, I just don't know anybody here, right? So, I mean, if you're in Toronto, right, you can go and meet your friends, you know, because you know them already, but nobody knows me here. So I came here just completely cold and chill. I know a lot of people in L.A., but even that shut down. So that's been interesting for me, but I think very good for me in the way. So, uh, hallelujah. Yeah. And that's really fascinating. And that's a thread that I kind of hear in a lot of conversations when I speak to creatives is that LA lifestyle, that LA grind of being stuck in traffic, going from one shoot to another, trying to go to an audition process. It's, it can really get hectic, especially when you've been doing it year in, year out. And now for yourself, now you're completely in the opposite of that. Do you find yourself just your mental state, just being more at peace, more happy in terms of not being around that toxicity of the LA culture? Well, you know, it's not so much the LA culture, it's the urban culture, any urban culture. Cause I lived in New York uh, mm-hmm. for a long time too, right down to 76th and Broadway. Uh, they lived on 42nd and 9th. I lived in 13th and 3rd of Union Square. Dude, it is stressful to live in a big city. We get used to that after a while. We don't realize, at least I didn't, that it is that stressful. Just, you know, having to negotiate around people all the time, waiting in line with people, you know, um, and, and, you know, we're all souls, right? We all have a bad day or a bad moment. And we also have heroic and heroin ones, right? So, but we're all together all the time in the city. Whereas out here, man, I got here. It took me a month to get used to the peace and quiet. I couldn't, it took literally a month. To, the only sound here is the wind and the birds. You know what? I would take that some days over living in the city way. I definitely would. It's, it's different. You, you don't realize how much of an impact or surroundings or that the city life or everyone's commuting downtown with on the train or commuting back, how much of an effect that really has on you until you're actually out of that entire area. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's just, a you know, it's beautiful energy that we spend paying attention to people around us. And taking them into account, you know, getting on and off a subway, you know, you know, realizing that maybe the old lady next to you might need a little help, you know, shuffling in, you know what I'm talking about? It takes beautiful energy. Um, And also dealing with somebody that's having a bad day when you're trying to freaking get in line and they break in front. You know what I'm talking about? So I've been completely by myself. I think in a strange way, you know, uh, strength, I don't know. And here and also Joshua Tree, it's not as concentrated 
population. I mean, there's, I think, 5,000 people that live kind of in this area, and they're all spread out all over the desert, which is like infinite. So, wow. Hey, before we deep dive into your work, I'm very fascinated by your story, Wade. You've had such a consistent career in Hollywood throughout the years, on TV, on the big screen. So where does this all begin for you? What were some of your early influences and what made you want to be in the creative arts? I don't know, really. Um, I was always kind of a show off. I don't know. I like not necessarily to be the center of attention, but just to have fun, you know, to play. And um, I had uh, two sisters and a brother and we played all the time. We always played pretend. I remember I used to play army and stuff and I'd really fucking get into it, man, you know. And, uh, you know, and we'd have all these rules, you know, t- two second rule. Matter of fact, I was shooting the, my pellet gun out here with my buddy Martin, who's also in that Last Man Hunt movie. He plays Willy Boy. Anyway, uh, we were sitting shooting my pellet gun because the coyotes come after my dogs out here. So I have to, pop, pop, you know, I got this pellet gun and they know the clock of it and they know the sound of it. So they run away. Well, he was out there shooting this pellet gun. He was talking about him playing army. You know, you really pretend, right? It's fun, right? So anyway, yeah. that's probably what I like about being an actor is I get to play. And I get to play with people who like to play too. So, and I get paid for it. Cherry on top. Thank you, God, to Joshua Tree. You know what I'm saying? Was there a TV show or a movie when you were growing up that you were just hooked on to? Batman. The yeah. uh, freaking... Batman. Yeah, the, the, the what's his name? West. Um, Adam West and Adam uh, West. Yeah. Burt Ward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great shit. Anyway, I loved that. What else did I like? Speed Racer. What about that? Speed Racer. What else did I like? Uh, I loved, for some strange reason, when I was a little boy, I'm talking like eight, nine years old, my parents let me watch All in the Family. And I loved that show too. I, the whole evening, it was a Saturday evening, they let us watch TV because my parents didn't let me watch TV. My dad was a really strict kind of, I would call a, a dogmatic, religioholic. He was a, uh, he changed religions about five times. First, <clears throat> he was an Episcopal priest. And then he, he changed to different kind of like priesthoods um, during his lifetime. So he wouldn't let us watch TV, but for some reason on Saturday nights, he would let us watch four TV shows. The first one was The World at War, which is this great documentary series narrated by Laurence Olivier about the Second World War. And this was like heavy fucking shit. I mean, everything in it, the the fucking horrible Holocaust, the, you know, I mean, just, you know, total war, the freaking, you know, Dresden, uh, fucking uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, you know, the, the German horrors that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Then was all in the family. <laughs> but after that, it got a little lighter. And then it was uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show. And then if we really wanted to stay up, we could watch Bob Newhart. So I got in that encapsulated evening, 
those were my favorite TV shows, along with uh, National Geographic um, nature specials. And Lawrence Welk. We would watch the Lawrence Welk show, and it was a lot of music and dancing. And me and my brother and sisters would dare dress up and dance around to the to Lawrence Welk conducting the orchestra and all those crazy uh, characters he had. Oh, Hee Haw! That's another one like that show. Those, that's it. Those are mine. Influence. Well, that's interesting. That's quite a different variety of types of shows, and I'm sure each one of them played a little part in your influence of becoming an actor and the types of roles you play. So I'm going to dive into a role that everyone sure. loves to hate. And that was Officer Brad Bellick on Prison Break. <laughs> it is by far one of the most memorable characters on that show. Now, you have a history of playing a lot of men in uniforms, like those types of roles. At what point throughout the audition process did you know that this character is not like any other you've played? I didn't have any idea, man. I, I didn't even want to go in on that audition. Remember I was telling you about how I didn't want to look stupid for my daughter or my kid? Anyways, uh, I got that script. The you only I only got the sides, just the audition pieces. Right. And uh, I originally turned out, I said, I don't want to play this guy because I knew it was going to be a series regular. And uh, I didn't want my daughter to see me. She was only three years old at the time. And I was like, I don't want to see you. Because in the future, she couldn't watch it then. But now she is. She's 19, right? So I said, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want my daughter to see me play a guy like that. Because the the first season, he's pretty much of a hard ass, right? But all I had was that scene. I think there was two scenes. There was one... The scene where I, uh, he uh, Schofield first comes in and I, you know, I say, you know, you, uh, you know, there's only two rules here, you know, that scene, um, and we stole the hat I'm wearing. We stole off a real prison guard. That's his hat. He'd made it for himself. And the hat they had me in was not just any of were wearing a hat. The hat they had me in was like one of those kind of trucker hats. I looked like a doofus. Yeah. But then me and the uh, director, uh, Brett Ratner, were looking at this guy going, look at that guy's hat. He goes, get, let's get. So we put it on my head. So that was Felix's hat. So we had fun, but it was just, he's a mean motherfucker. So my, my manager said, if you don't go on this audition, I'm going to kill you. So well, I hey. did. I really believe that the rest the first is history. <laughs> well, hey, the first season of Prison Break is truly like one of the greatest seasons in TV history. There's no doubt. So? Oh, I know so. It definitely is. It by far, like it's if even if you follow like the online chatter of TV shows and great shows like Game of Thrones, Prison Break season one is up there. It really is. Oh, one thing, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Sure. One, yeah, one of the that. things that's so great about this ensemble piece is that the brilliant writers and the producers give everyone their moment to shine, whether it's John Abruzzi, Sucre, Teabag, Bellic. What's so great about this character is that you really made it three-dimensional. And there's this one great line that I still remember from season one. And that's when you're doing a shakedown with Michael Schofield and Sucre Sal. You remind Schofield that the warden runs a prison during the day, but you run it during the night. And that's a thread that runs deep in season one. Like you're a character that looms large over the inmates. Can you speak about season one specifically? And it's hard to know while you're shooting if what you're doing is special, but we have the benefit of hindsight. Do you recall just knowing that this may be something special? No, I had no idea. You know, we shot the pilot 
in like, uh, I think it was like December of 2004 or 2005. I can't remember what year it came out. But, um, and you shoot a pilot and you never know if it's going to get picked up. I mean, it's you just can't have any kind of like, you know, I think that's one uh, thing I've learned about maybe life through acting, being an actor, is that, you know, you can't predict the future. And uh, yeah. strangely enough, I've been calling them, I don't know, fantasies these days, daydreaming about a future is a waste of time in a way. Because, I mean, unless it's a nice daydream, but even to hope that a pilot's going to pick up, I just throw it all in away. So I just forgot about it. All of a sudden gets picked up. And I, I did just the one scene in the first episode there and moved my family to Chicago, stayed in Andersonville. So beautiful. I love Chicago. And all the people there, IATSE guys, yes! Anyway, um, dude, they got great crews and everybody's great there. I have really good friends there. Anyway, uh, who knew? Yeah, like again, the benefit of hindsight, we can look back at it and we can say, wow, just the acting, the the storylines, everything. The season one just clicked so hard. And some of the best episodes of the series are part of season one, especially that two-part lockdown episode where Gary ah. calls for a lockdown and you're, again, Bella, I mean, my favorite character is I can quote that guy all day. It's like, we call the lockdown without everyone being in their cells. It was, it's one of the best episodes in the series. Do you remember much about that uh, episode by itself, the filming of it? That's the one uh, where T-Bag goes crazy and- Yeah, yeah. You know, cause you I've never watched about, the show. Yeah. I've never watched the show, so I don't really? know. I don't remember, I, I, I don't know. It's not really my kind of show in a way to watch. Ah, I've tried to watch it two or three times. Really interesting. Yeah, that's the episode like, that you hmm. mentioned where T-Bag goes crazy, the yeah, Michael yeah. and Sucre break down the furnace so it gets really hot in the uh, entire set, jail cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, just like doing another show to me. I mean, I, you know, that's- I'm kind of a journeyman actor. I don't usually get cast as a series regular, which this wasn't really. I think I got 10 out of 13. Everybody else had a whole season. So um, I just thought it was kind of a temporary gig and a good you know, reason to move to Chicago, which I love for a while. <laughs> get paid Wait. for it. <laughs> right? So I had a great time it. playing that guy. And um, I decided uh, in kind of the beginning. And I don't know what it wasn't the, the writers. I never really talked to the writers about him. I just decided that Bellick uh, had enough power in his position as the head of the prison guard, like you mentioned, you know, I run this place during the night that he never did anything to physically harm another a prisoner or a guard, or even a cat, personally. Yeah, I see where you're coming from on he that. He didn't more... cut off Michael Schofield's toe, did he? No, he didn't. 
He walked in on it, but he he did he didn't do it himself though. The only thing he does in that whole series to hurt someone in in that first season is hit Westmoreland with a coffee pot at the end, which you can claim was self defense. <laughs> Welcome to law enforcement, brother. Oh, yeah. So how much easier does your job become when you're acting along with such amazing actors? Well, you know, that was one of the things I, I think that we created as uh, actors in the first season was that um, the kind of core of us, you know, there in Chicago, because there was a lot of people that lived in Chicago that did recurring parts like Christian Stolte and, uh, and uh, Matt DeCaro playing Gary and uh a lot of the there was just so many people that lived there that were part of that show mm -hmm. it, along with us kind of people that ended up going to the next seasons um dude we had some beautiful positive all of us commitment to be prepared and when that's our turn fucking at bat man we were all looking for a home run we weren't looking to just get on first base nobody yeah. was button everybody was full ted williams swing man and dude we i think we batted 500. Uh, did so i say more than together 500? everybody including the crew dude it was not easy just yeah, physically a lot of work wentworth star man he had to go in did you know this two hours before shooting time so if, if shooting call was 6 30 in the morning which he usually is because the crew comes in at like five and gets everything set up and then you start rolling people through makeup and stuff mm -hmm. he'd have to get to makeup if he had a 6 30 shoot call at four o'clock in the morning for them to put that full tattoo on him. Dude, yeah. that guy's a hero. He was solid as a rock. And, uh, but everybody was, we all had to do stuff like that too. But him, especially when they had to put the whole thing on him. Ooh, and then you got to work 14 hours. <laughs> yeah. Especially being the backbone <laughs> of the show where he was, uh, you could see the effort that he uh, pits to this role. And again, as you mentioned, the rest of the cast as well. Now, as you transitioned out of season one, the show did change, especially your character. Did you personally enjoy the evolution of the show with the multiple prisons and now Bellic being part of the gang himself? Well, you know, it was cool. I mean, I was just happy to get that. They asked me to come back. You know, like I said, I wasn't. And, um, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like life. Like I, I, I always say to myself, if I had been the author of my life, I wouldn't have written it this way. And That's true. I think in a way, Bellick's in the same boat. I mean, if he had been the author of his life, he wouldn't have written it that way. Who wants to end up, you know, getting pissed and shit on in your underwear and fucking prison, you know, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Not that I've been that there, but Stacy Cage, he was in Reading 
in jail, pissing and shitting into a bucket for six months. So you never know. Yeah? Life mirrors are. Well, that's fascinating, especially because you mentioned earlier on that you don't actually watch the show. So I'm curious, when they relaunched the show a few years ago, did you watch that season or was that not? No, I just, you know, I love those guys, but it's just not, I mean, I'm not interested. I like, I love documentaries. I love documentaries. Happy ones, sad ones. I got to watch it for the like true crime ones because they can really turn my stomach. But um, I loved interesting people, you know. Um, that's the other thing about all the actors on our show. We're all so interesting, but everybody is. But you know how sometimes I remember in the theater uh, when I, because I, I was a theater actor for a long time before I even got into film and TV. There was a one director I worked with said, um, you know, you can have the same script, right? Say a Shakespeare. No, pick one. What's your favorite? Romeo and Juliet. There you go. All right. There you go. There's a lot of versions of that on film. And he's talking about stage production. So you have the same words, the same text. Everything is. Why does one of them roll into the golden vortex and communicate somehow beautifully? to everyone that sees it and how it gives you some kind of cathartic release or some kind of whatever it is that why does one of them with a different always you know because different productions different people yeah, different cast different crew yeah same words there's some kind of magic i don't know that's what he said and i think i would agree we just had, you know what it was who knows the writing, I always say prize the text. So I try to keep as bingo to the script as I could. And um, dude, we did it. I don't know. Who knows? We all did it. It's Well, hey, know, it's, kind of... it's interesting. We're getting to a point where the show has been off the air longer than it was even on the air. And there's this whole new generation of people that are discovering the show for the very first time through streaming Netflix. <sighs> I know. It's how weird, often do you isn't get it? people? Isn't that yeah. weird? How often do you get people coming up to you saying, "Hey, wait! I just watched Prison Break for the first time last week." All the time. Yeah. That's one thing I've actually enjoyed. I love uh, people. To, I mean, I gotta say, uh, to be like you, I'm sure people are your fan, right? And they come up to you and say, "Oh man, I really love what you do." Right? Isn't that nice? Feels good. It does. Holy moly. And now it's happening, you know, and it's been happening really, you know, the, the weird thing was when we were shooting it, we were all kind of disappointed because it was a serial, like you had to watch it in order, like a soap yeah. opera. And we were like, man, they're not going to syndicate us because they don't syndicate shit like that. Back then, you know, Netflix had just started. All there was like HBO and the networks and cable shit, you know, yeah. like that song. Uh, 87 channels and there's nothing on there was nothing on cable you know and all you had to watch the networks it was like friends and you know uh, Seinfeld and stuff like that yeah. yeah yeah so we were disappointed little did we know 
once streaming came out and people could binge the thing over the weekend, holy moly. Change the game. I know. So we were like the top screen streamed, you know, binged thing on Netflix for a while. One of my friends who's a producer told me. So that's what's changed. Because um, it could have just, you know, ended up on somebody's DVD rack. You know what I'm saying? That's so true. And just with the world of streaming now and with the pandemic, just the amount of viewership, the amount of people that tuned into the show for the very first time, it's, it's really amazing. So as someone who is part of the crew, as someone who was in the trenches, through the highs, what's the legacy of the show, Wade? What makes it connect with the audiences so much? I don't know. I, th- I, I, I think maybe... Uh... You know, there's a great Beatles, I know, Eagles lyric, a prison of our own device from Hotel California, right? I think in a way, and I think this pandemic especially has kind of demonstrated that to me at least, that, you know, I am in a strange way uh, in a prison of my own device in terms of my uh, understanding sometimes about things uh and looking at my the 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 way my life has been authored uh not by me uh, most of the time by chance and happenstance and that i really have no control over anything but me and my attitude right and my attitude is either going to be a prison or a paradise so no matter where I am in a prison, like we were in prison break, like I know prisoners, I know uh, wardens of prisons, wherever we are. Fascinating. Either you're in prison or you're not. It's interesting, Wade. That's really interesting. So here we are. Here who we do we are, love? Right? Who are we gonna, who, who's got our back? Those brothers do, right? Well, Those brothers deep, got each other's fucking backs. <laughs> oh, Maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe that's it. And you know what? I think that's just what humanizes the show. Even though we're in this Fox, Fox River State Penitentiary or you're in Panama or all these things, at the core of it, it's really a show about family, show about I love. so. I don't know. Just tossed into these crazy situations, right? Right. Yeah. Now, one thing that I'm fascinated about is you've done a lot of voice acting as well, yeah. especially in the DC animated universe as Harvey Dent and Killer Croc. Are you a fan yeah. of the genre? Huh? Are you a fan of the genre? Oh, yes. Uh, I love, like I told you, one of my favorite shows is Speed Racer, man. And you mentioned also the 60s Batman show. So that's why. I'm oh, like, oh, Batman. Right, uh, I'm trying to remember. And, and, and oh, then another other thing we could do when I was a kid was watch. TV, watch the cartoons in the morning on Saturday morning because my dad was a preacher, right? So Sunday was all church. So we would get up and they would sleep in and we would all sit around and watch all the network cartoons. And I loved, of course, Scooby-Doo, um, Speed Racer was another great one I loved back Flintstones, then. Uh, Jetsons, huh? the Flintstones. The Flintstones, Jetsons. yeah, yeah, all that. Oh, man, I know all the songs. Um. <laughs> You know, uh, 
There's some the commercials from I then yeah. I love. I yeah. still remember that were on the TV. You know, because you had to watch the commercials that back then. You couldn't pay money not to watch the commercials. Nope. It's a double bind. Look, man. You don't want to watch the commercials. You got to pay money. Yeah. Hey, I think it's worth it. What do you think? <laughs> but back then, the, the commercials were good. I'd like to now. teach uh, the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to hold it in my hand and keep me company. Coke. Classic. <laughs> is the real yeah. thing. Shit, man. It's different. The medium just I haven't heard so one much. like that in a while. Nah, and you're probably not. You're probably not going to hear it again. Like, it's just the way the mediums change so much. It's like social media and just, just even just the quality of some of these commercials. It, it, it's completely changed. So, hey, it's interesting. We saw you in Venom for a oh. little <laughs> mid-carried scene. Would you ever want to be in one of these live action movies? Because that's like the biggest thing in the world right now is your superhero movies. All right. I don't know if you know this. I can say it now because I had signed it. Confidentiality agreement, non-disclosure agreement. <clears throat> Check out Netflix's Cowboy Bebop. Are I think that is streaming fan? now. I am, and I believe that it's actually streaming now. Yes, it just premiered. Is today the 20th? Today is the 21st. Okay, it premiered on Friday. Okay, I know that some people are skeptical about doing live action versions of this anime, which is, in my opinion, a masterpiece. I think that uh, nobody ever sets out to create a masterpiece. And if you do, good luck. Because just like Prison Break, who the fuck knows how it happens? So that anime is a masterpiece. So I understand that people are going to be like, fuck, don't fuck with it, man. I remember, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, there was a production of a Gershwin's, uh, the Gershwin brothers, uh, Porgy and Bess uh, on Broadway. That was, uh, I can't remember who directed it, but it was like a foreshortened version now, I used to do a lot of opera and musical theater. I was a legit musical theater singer and opera singer. I didn't do so much opera, but I did a lot of stuff all over the world. Uh, I was a singer for the first 10 years of my acting career and an actor too, but um, an actor singer, I don't know how you get. Um, sure. So they tried to shorten it and uh, put it on Broadway and Stephen Sondheim wrote a letter to the New York Times saying, look, man, don't fuck with Gershwin's masterpiece, please. Because he was protecting his masterpieces that he's written, Sweeney Todd. I mean, I, he's amazing, just like Gershwin's. So I get it about Cowboy Bebop. It's the same thing. They're masterpieces, right? They're sacred. Yeah. However, uh, because they're masterpieces like we were talking about the same words the same you know what i mean i think this one's great look at it 
check it out. Cowboy Bebop, the live actions. I think it's got a bit of magic to it. Yeah, you heard it. You heard it first. I'm in the fifth episode. See if you can recognize me. <laughs> All right. But you got to watch go. it to get into it before you see me because it's. I think it's beautifully done. It's a, it's a great tribute uh, to a masterpiece, but it's not a copy. Interesting. That's a, it's that's a new movie. work, and I loved it. I went to the premiere. I don't usually go to premieres, especially during pandemics. But they had us all test before, and we wore masks and had to be vaccinated. So I went, and the audience loved it. They loved it. You know, sitting there, and I loved it too. Um, but it's my kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, there you go. Look at Cowboy Bebop. There you go, everyone. As you wrap up with the great Wade Williams, it is now time for a segment I call The Final Act. Wade, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you 10 rapid-fire questions about your okay. likes, your dislikes, but here's the catch. We're going to try to get through them in one minute or less. You up for oh, it? God, help. Okay, let's go. Movies or TV shows? Movies. Theater or watch at home? Theater. Favorite movie? Apocalypse Now. Favorite TV show? Wow. <laughs> if you can't think of one, I'll give you one pass. Can't think of one. All right. Favorite trilogy? Uh, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings. Favorite season to shoot during prison break? First season. Summer or fall? Fall. Does pineapple belong on pizza? No. <laughs> Favorite character not named Balak from prison break? Michael Schofield. And lastly, describe the show Prison Break in one word. Fucking A. <laughs> Bam. All right. That was nice. Hey, you know what? We got through the questions. And I appreciate the honesty and the candid answers. Wade, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. And thank you for your contributions to the creative arts. Prison Break is one of my all-time favorite shows. And you play a big part in creating that love that wow. I have for the show. I wish you all the best in your upcoming work. I look forward to having you back on the show to discuss your next project. Oh, thanks, brother. I like you. You're cool. <laughs>